Thanks for listening to this Word in Your Ear podcast. If you'd like to get early access to all our productions ad-free, priority booking for our live events, and to take part in our weekly quiz, go to patreon.com slash wordinyourear for more details. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. You're listening to a podcast from The Word. The Stankwater game. I, I'm going to go first because I've, go I've got something in honour of the American presidential election. Okay. In honour of American exceptionalism. You will, you will search in vain for loads of albums called <clears throat> whose title is British Something. Yes, you won't find many of those at all. But you will find thousands that, that begin with the word American. Okay, American so-and-so. Okay, so these are five LP records, one of which is not real. Okay, are you ready? Are you telling me who they're by to, or just the? Time? I will. I will. Okay, go. Just, just listen. Okay. <laughs> American Head by the Flaming Lips, American Band by the Drive-By Truckers, American Dream by Crosby, Stills, Nash and Young, American Caesar by Iggy Pop, and American Dirt by John Mellencamp. Are you ready? Shall I go again? American Head by The Flaming Lips, American Band by The Drive-By Truckers, American Dream by Crosby, Stills, Nash & Young, American Caesar by Iggy Pop, and American Dirt by John Mellencamp. Over to you. Which one's not real? God, and I really ought to know some of these. American Dirt sounds completely plausible because it's such an extraordinary title. Uh, American Caesar is equally extraordinary. How would he have made that up? I doubt it. Um, American Head by the Flaming Lips, I think, exists, as does the drive-by trucks. I think it's American Dream by Crosby, Stills, Nash & Young because, A, I don't remember it, although it's probably screamingly obvious if I'm wrong, and, B, would they have written something about an American dream rather than specifically... Because they weren't 100% enthusiastic about the state of the nation, but they were very, very enthusiastic about the state of, uh, of their kind of hippie ideals. So I'm go- I'm, I may be wrong, American Dream. You are wrong. Oh, do That's a real record. American Dream is real. American Head by Flaming Lips is real. American Band by the Drive-By Truckers is real. American Caesar by Iggy Pop is real. But American Dirt, Dirt. by John Mellencamp very good. is not real. Uh, American essentially is the title of a novel, uh, but I thought I thought oh that's that, great yeah, that could easily be a John Mellencamp uh, album. I win. I you win, win hands down. You win hands down. I've got for you. Um, I've got a selection of slightly earnest folk groups from the late fifties and early sixties with names that have a sense of community about them. Okay, right. You remember that era? So yeah, you've got yeah. the rooftop singers. Spot the ringer. Yeah. Four of these are real. One of them's fictitious. The rooftop singers. Yeah. The Hearth Warmers. The Hearth Warmers. The Hearth Warmers. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> the women folk. Women folk. The limelighters. Right. And the brothers four. Right. Well, going from the back, I know the brothers four were real. I know the limelighters were real. I know the rooftop singers were real. So that just leaves me the hearth warmers. <laughs> The hearth warmers and the women folk. <laughs> I'm going to say women folk's real, and I'm going to say hearth warmers is not. I'm in a corner here. You're absolutely right. <laughs> <laughs> You're right. The women folk, early 60s, and, uh, you know, slightly progressive, but not quite as political perhaps as the others. But the hearth warmers, no, you're right. Rumbled. Rumbled. Very good work from you. They're all uh, mighty wind groups, aren't they? They are very yeah. much so. They if are, anybody, yeah. if anybody's looking for a film to watch on a on a on a wet Sunday, uh, a mighty wind is uh, is one of the lesser known works of Christopher Guest and the Spinal Tap lot. Didn't so, get the rave reviews of some of the yeah, others. It's, it's a lovely. It's film. really it's really <laughs> touching. It's really really touching. It's one of those I, the one of the, it's one of those Christopher Guest films that I watch again and again. Unlike Spinal Tap, which I don't really, um, but uh, Best in Show and. Uh, Oh God! What's the one where the where is in the the town which is putting on the pageant? Waiting for Guffman. Oh God! Waiting for Guffman. That's, That's fantastic. fantastic. No, yeah. Mighty Wind's good because it's got it's got some genuinely moving moments in it. Sad <laughs> moments, isn't it? I mean, they, it's not just comedy. Very convincing. But talking about just comedy, um, <laughs> Kanye West. <laughs> Kanye West. Kanye West. As I'm sure anybody listening will know, put out a, 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 a had a birthday present devised for his wife Kim Kardashian for her birthday and it is I mean it's absolutely astonishing because I can remember extravagant uh, displays of affection and wealth by, by, by rock stars in the past particularly Yoko Ono hiring a plane to skywrite happy birthday John over the New York skyline do you remember that for um for John Lennon's birthday and now I remember thinking that but I thought it was quite nice actually but, but a little bit over the top but now compared with this that seems small scale and touching because Kanye West has had a hologram made of uh, Robert Kardashian, Kim's, uh, late Kim, father. Kim's father, late father, who was famously, of course, the, the lawyer and the, the attorney in the O.J. Simpson uh, case. Um, and in it, he says some <laughs> extraordinary things. One is uh, he says, you are the most amazing mother to your four children. You are perfect. And even, even more grotesquely narcissistic, he says, you married the most genius man in the whole world, Kanye West. <laughs> Can you imagine commissioning something that says that? It's incredible, isn't it? This, uh, yeah, it, it beggars banter, doesn't it, really? The, the kind of scale of this. You know, did at any stage in the planning process anybody say to Kanye, do you not think this might be a little bit over the top? Maybe just rein it in a little bit, you know, and don't, don't say anything about yourself and don't make it too extravagant. Clearly, nobody nobody restrains them at all. And but he doesn't that, restrain isn't that himself. The classic thing with very, very rich people, they surround themselves by people who just agree with them. And once they, they, they find people disagreeing with them, they, don't, they, they, they tend to let, let them go, don't they? I mean, is, is that... Is, very, very rarely they get, they get the kind of valuable, you know, uh, advice they, they can trust. I don't know. But, I mean, it's yeah, possible. I, I don't know if this has ever happened to you, but um, I've seen cases of this where 
have not seen cases of people commissioning holograms for their for their wife's birthday. <laughs> Clearly not. But I've seen people buy very extravagant presents for you know very often for their wife. It's very often a male female thing because men very often aren't quite confident about what's the most appropriate or, or, or the most desired gift. And so they will tend to compensate for this by making it the most expensive gift. Yeah. You know what I'm talking about? And so <laughs> I have seen cases where, where you know, extremely valuable or over-the-top presents have been presented to you know, wife on case of wedding anniversary or God knows what, where people in the room have clearly thought, mm, that's just, <laughs> that's gone a bit far. You know? That's showing off. <laughs> it's just it's like Shivers off. Regal. Do you remember Shivers Regal whiskey back in the, I mean, in the, in the 70s and 80s? I think their, their advertising line was reassuringly expensive. So the one oh, thing I about Shivers it Regal was that... Was it there? <laughs> I think it was that, I, I would, it might be something like One that. thing you knew about them was that if you gave someone that gift, you were being very generous. Yeah, yeah. Irrespective of what the quality of it was like. And so I have seen that kind of thing on a small scale. It's interesting, dear. You're going back to your, you know, the days when when hiring a plane to to write "Happy Birthday, John" in the sky Seems above quite New York. Small scale. Well, it does now, absolutely. <clears throat> Because if you heard that your next door neighbour was doing that for his, you know, his daughter's twenty first, you wouldn't be absolutely amazed. No, you wouldn't. Anymore. Be. No. <laughs> whereas, whereas back then it was my God, that's the kind of thing. That's the kind of mad thing rock stars do. And now it's all, um, you know, increasingly everybody does it. Talking of which, um, I, I I don't know if you listen to this uh, uh, fascinating podcast. I was listening to an interview with a woman called Nina Schick. Oh, you were talking about this? Is this the information apocalypse? Yeah, she's written I a book it, called yeah. Info. I can't even say it. Info Infocalypse. Basically, we're heading for an information apocalypse, and basically, it's all about synthetic media. And in the future, most media will be synthetic. That <coughs> there won't be a person at the other end of it who is devising and fashioning the message, there will be messages devised by machines and you won't know what's genuine and what's, and what's not. And she- well, I heard it. She's talking about the idea of faking human images and manipulating voices, isn't it? And I think the expression, expression they use is they can synthesize voices and they can hijack your biometrics, yeah. which is meaning that they can take, they can invent footage of absolutely anybody convincingly saying, Absolutely anything. Absolutely anything. And so, you know, obviously we've, we've got some idea of how those kind of technologies have changed the filmmaking process. You know, the, the, the Irishman, Joe Pesci and uh, Robert De Niro being, being artificially de-aged and how you can change. And you can now get very simple kind of software that can, can put your face onto the face of a famous actor in any movie yeah, scene, yeah, can't you? Yeah, yeah. And it make it look completely convincing. But the idea that any piece of footage that you ever wanted could be made to look absolutely real, has just unbelievable uh, repercussions as regards news media, doesn't it? Well, in, in all kinds of media. <laughs> and, uh, you know, she makes the point that, that what Scorsese did at enormous expense for the Irishman can now be done far better using a piece of free software that's right. absolutely 
any kid can get hold of. You know, so there's that. There's that. And she says, she says you can you can make special effects on a laptop. Even now, but you know, said in a few years' time, you'll take any special effects that are probably superior to ones in movies at the moment. Absolutely astonishing. And it, it was only after I heard that that I I went and she pointed to a website that no doubt other people know, but I never seen it before, called thispersondoesnotexist.com, yeah. which, which just every time you refresh it, it presents you with a face of another <coughs> utterly plausible human being. Except they're not real. They're not real. <laughs> they're completely made up from bits of information in, in the in the kind of the database that just throws up these kind of images. Of course, I'm sure your thought must have been the same as mine when seeing this was my God, imagine if somebody did this with indistinguishable indie groups. Where every time you refreshed, you got another four kind of pallid. <laughs> you know, <laughs> misunderstood plank spankers. Sorry for them. <laughs> sorry for themselves. That's right. <laughs> Self pitiful. Yeah, yeah. It's bound to happen, isn't it? You know what I mean. So you know, you can. There would be a machine. Can you generate your own indie band? And you'll just keep. You'll just keep keep refreshing until it eventually comes up with one that's successful that people like. And then you keep going until there's another one. That's the future of popular music. That's my. So what, what would you do? You feed into it pictures of ride or whatever, and, and uh, <laughs> well, know, presumably, and, presumably uh, that's the way that part of that. God, God knows we're out of our depth here. Yeah. <laughs> our depth here, but this one of the points they were making is that um, if you have unlimited information going in, you can then you know extract it in an unlimited variety of ways yeah and, and it will combine in ways that are you know utterly um utterly convincing because the other thing is that um that, that i was thinking about when listening to it was that there used to be a time when there were kind of technological tricks in the entertainment business that only the professionals could do they, you know, if you go back, if you go back to the sixties and seventies, and even the eighties, if you wanted to make a proper pop record, you had to go into a recording studio. You know, and who yeah. were the people who had recording studios? The record companies. You know, all that kind of stuff. Well, everything has now gone the other side of the counter, hasn't it? You know what I mean? Completely. It could all be done at home. It could all be done at home, just as well. And um, and so the you know the uh, all that labour went into the Irishman. <laughs> And then you can go and look on YouTube, and there's there's no doubt kids in Belarus who've, who've done something doing stuff just more, as impressive. Well, probably more impressive actually, because they've they've looked at what's happened before. So you know, um, the other thing that struck me about the news the news element is that if you can invent anything at all of anybody saying anything, then if everything can be faked, everything can also be denied. Yeah, yeah. Can it? So, so you know. Well, we just had we just had four year presidency of somebody doing exactly that. Exactly that. <laughs> and it's, I don't know, I don't know. So the title of this podcast will be I don't know. <laughs> the word podcast: prime cuts of popular culture served fresh each week. So Sean Connery has passed on at the age of ninety. Which is a lot of golf, isn't it? Perhaps. It's it's a lot of golf. It's a lot. I mean, yeah. The mental image of him is in a pair of tartan trousers, for me, on golf courses in Scotland. 
interestingly uh, exceptional in a number of ways, kept going for an awful long time. Arguably, I would say arguably, the biggest British film star of our time. I can't think of a bigger one. I mean, no, that's a good like point. Charlie Chaplin belonged to an earlier era. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I can't think of anyone who was bigger. David, also, no, not David. No, well, because I mean, like they were big names, you know. Michael Caine being bigger. Michael Caine, arguably, is up there. Yeah. Talking, talking of which, uh, talking to whom? Um, if you want to see a really good Sean Connery, Michael Caine film, have you ever seen The Man Who Would Be King? No. Oh God, this is a great film made by John Huston, based on a Rudyard Kipling story about two ne'er do wells uh, out of the British Army at the time of the Raj who end up being rulers of a small kingdom on the northwest frontier. It's a fantastic film. It's a really good film. Um, other remarkable things about Sean Connery, you know, he, he, was, he was a wig wearer, he had a professional wig wearer who got away with it. You know what I mean? He turned up for a, to make a film and they fitted the wig. And uh, nobody laughed at him, did they? You know, but they, no. They... But I think he did the sensible thing, which is he didn't carry on wearing the wig off screen, did he? I suppose so. So I that's the good so. thing. Had he done that, they would have thought this is fraudulent and absurd, and he looks ridiculous. But he didn't. I can remember there was a Bond film. I can't remember which one it was. Now, the last one he did, when he was vigorously thatched, wasn't he? Re-thatched. Yeah, he had a proceeding hairline instead of a receding uh, one. Uh, yeah. right. So I was. But, I was well, uh, what about the old star? Which I now can't remember now. But there was a story involving him on a on, a, on an ocean. On an ocean liner. I've got it. It's in this book. Oh, oh go on, go on, go on. By yeah. Joe holding my hand. Oh, you got it. Yeah. Terrifically, book. Good book, actually. She's Carly Simon's uh, autobiography, "Boys in the Trees," a memoir, where she she writes about when she and her sister Lucy, who were who were in, probably in their early twenties at the time. Yeah. And very, very beautiful, very polished, very confident girls, um, uh, offspring of, uh, of a, a very well-connected publishing family. Yeah. Uh, and they they went to London, I think, 90s, I think it's 95 or 66, I can't remember, mid-60s, um, uh, to perform. At, you know, they used to do folk tunes, you know, pretty much like the kind of the women folk, you know, yeah, pretty absolutely. much like the kind of thing yeah. you're talking about. And uh, on the in those days, when you went back and forth, particularly if you were girls of a certain kind of stature, you you, you did it via um, the ocean liner, and they found themselves on board with Sean Connery, at the time riding high on the on the success of Doctor No and Goldfinger, probably at that stage from Russia with Love. Huge. And you have to you have to imagine the impact of Carly Simon and her oh, well, equally. I'm going to show you. I'm going to show you a picture in a minute. <laughs> the uh, and so they decide they're going to invite him over for a drink. You know, so oh, it was them that invited him. They invited. Well, they invited him first of all. They wrote a, a, a letter saying, you know, our father is Richard Simon, I think. And, you know, we, we think you're coming over. I think he was kind of going to New York to um, appear in the Ginger Man on Broadway. And they had some kind of entree. And uh, and uh, I'm, you know, I'm travelling with my sister, with my 20-year-old sister or whatever. Uh, and we'd love to meet you. You know, we'd love to invite you over. She, they, end, they end up going to his stateroom, right, which is like 
it's it's sweets, you know. It's it, it's rooms as far as the eye can see in this place. Whereas they're they're in steering. That's pokey little cat. They've got a pole, <laughs> and he's got this enormous great place. And uh, and they go in, and there he is. Which and she says he, the only difference between him and the movie image was that he was more attractive in real life than he was on a, on a, on a movie screen. He's got champagne as chilling in buckets. You know, there is shrimp as far as the eye can see. There he Raining is. shrimp. <laughs> there he is. And what's the music playing on the hi-fi in Sean, uh, in Sean Connery's massive great suite on board the Queen Mary? What's the tune, Mark? Helen, over to you. Well, you God, know? what would what would have been the the precursor of Barry White in those well, days? It's absolutely, it's, it's, it's not Barry White. No, it's not no, Barry it's White. Before it's Barry White, wasn't very, it? Very it's going to be so. It's going to be a soul singer. No, it's, it's even better. It's what's new, Pussycat? Oh <laughs> my Lord, that's brilliant. The message is very clear. Yeah, absolutely. And there, for anybody who's watching this, is a picture of the Simon sisters oh, as, they, as they looked at the time. Very beautiful. Yes. Very beautiful. Very well brought up New York girls. <laughs> and clearly, Sean, for a minute, thought, oh, I'm on for it. Well, she actually says in the book, I think briefly he thought he was on for a Simon sisters a, sandwich. A Simon sandwich. <laughs> That's her expression, isn't it? That's it's her expression. I know it is very uh, funny. But she writes very amusingly about uh, about that whole encounter. It's the idea of of just getting in touch with the sexiest man in the world, forty years running or whatever he was. You know what I mean? And say, me and my sister would like we, to we'd like to come over to your suite. <laughs> And drink your champagne. Is that oh, all right? No, That's no, a fantastic yeah. story. Isn't it? Happy days. Oh, Actually, no. talking him. talking of transatlantic uh, trips, the uh, the um, the trailers around for the David Bowie. Oh, I've um, seen it. Yeah. What's yeah, it yeah. Called? Is it called Starman? It's called. The film? I can't remember. Starman or Star Dust? God, I can't remember now. Um, yeah, we ought to know that, shouldn't we? It stars a guy called Johnny Flynn. Is that right? He was in kind of Holby City and the Detectorists and. Les Miserables, and as far as I can see, it's entirely about the 1971, isn't it? Yeah, 1971, yeah, very, uh, the 1971, yeah, his tour of America at the time of, I well, guess, it's not it's a tour, the, it's not a tour. the world. No, it wasn't not, a tour, he just he visited America, even, didn't he? He wasn't even a tour, because I've, I've written about this, you know, um, more than once, actually. I read, read about this in my 1971 book. I'm going to plug my book. No, you should probably, but the, the, let me interject. The trailer suggests that, that, that there's only one person who believes in him. There's a guy, I think, called Ron Oberman. Ron, Ron Oberman. Ron Oberman Mercury of Mercury Records. And everyone else thinks he's absolutely hopeless. And there he is. He's, he's, he's got his long hair and he's he's wearing his dresses. And in his va- and the occasional interviews he does on radio is all he talks about is, uh, is um, wearing dresses and being eccentric. And, you know, and it's not playing very well with the American public. And he, it, the trailers suggest that Ron Oberman is the person who directs him into starting. You're at a crossroads. You, know, you either carry on doing what you're doing or you go for a major reinvention of yourself, which became Ziggy Stardust. Is that true? I put it to well, you. Well, I, I mean, certainly Ron Oberman was a very, very important person in this. I mean, basically what happened was that that um, he'd, um, he was still contracted to Mercury in the United States, but they weren't going to re-sign with Mercury. Yeah. 
but somehow they they organized that mercury would pay for him to come over albeit he couldn't play he wasn't allowed to play because he didn't have an mu exchange which is what you needed in those days yeah uh and uh but he could come over and do a load of radio and do a load of press to meet some people and ron oberman was clearly one of the one of the people he was head of pr at east coast mercury records uh and uh and so bowie actually flew into to washington to dc i think uh and stayed with the Oberman oberman family in silver spring maryland you know it was inserted into a normal american home when he turned up with his kind of mad veronica lake hairdo and so forth because at the time he's he was in real crossroads you know that he'd had odd he'd had man he'd had space oddity had been but space but, oddity and then can nothing happened nothing for really years and, and uh, they were giving up on it weren't they really yeah and uh but there were a few people at mercury who were who were very interested paul nelson uh in new york and so basically what's intriguing to me about that sure i can see why somebody's made a film about it because it it was a, a very consequential two weeks in his life because i think that's the two weeks when he changed what he was gonna do and i think he oh, did it's it com- it's transformational it's completely, i think he did he it because, back a different he, guy. because he was on his own that's yeah. my point and so what None of the people he dealt with, because he 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 was in he was in Maryland, he was in New York, he was in Boston, he was in Detroit, he was in Texas, he was in San Francisco, he was in Los Angeles, and at each of those steps stops, he dealt with different people, and so <laughs> nobody saw him change. That's right. I mean? He and, was very like, slightly reinventing himself as he went along. He did. He clearly. Yeah, on the on the plane or whatever, or on the Greyhound bus, incredibly funny and and entertaining. And in fact, at that time, I think when he went there, he was quite an introspective, but kind he was of serious minded. He, he was a looking. He, he was a he was a kind of stool stool squatting folky. You know, he yeah. was Beckenham Arts Lab. It was it was all that kind of thing. You know, and then he comes back. Hey, I'm Ziggy Stardust. You know, yeah, I, I'm a, a different kind of person, and. uh and it's a classic case of uh, of what happened to, to quite a lot of people, British people, when they went to America. You know, it's just how life changing that experience was. And it was a place that encouraged them to change themselves and to and to and to return to the UK as a different person. And so I can see why somebody made a film of it because I think it it, it lends itself to it. Now, I mean, it's possibly oversimplified in terms of, yes, it was this one guy, whereas actually it was a it was a few people. But that that one guy existed, and I'm sure they I'm sure the bare bones of it are uh, are perfectly accurate. And I'd love uh, to know if it's any good. I read one review of it. I think it was in the Times, which is extremely enthusiastic because everybody else has piled in. All the all the Bowie uh, enthusiasts have piled in with the most negative. God, well, I, I think they. And tried you don't blame them, you know. I think they, get, they tried to get rights to the music and they couldn't get it. They see, couldn't get so, them, so it's it's I, not I think, in any way official. Yeah, but you know. We, but, but what we've discovered in the last few years is that the official films aren't anything more, any more credible than the unofficial films, you know what I mean? That, Not really, well, Rocket Man didn't have any, any of the Elton John music in it. They played it themselves, didn't they? And was an absolutely monumental hit. So I know, they don't necessarily make any difference. Yeah, but it doesn't, it doesn't make it true just because it's official. 
Yeah, absolutely. You know, it can be can be a different thing altogether. Well, the Uh, Queen movie is uh, plays fast and loose with the truth, doesn't it? In loads of respects. And uh, I remember we had, uh, uh, you know, Leslie Ann Jones was on the podcast. He'd written a book about Freddie Mercury and said there was something like I can't remember now, like thirty-seven massive factual inaccuracies in the movie. But it doesn't matter. So people don't care. They just they just want they just want a good story. This is a junction in the word podcast. It separates that bit from this next bit. So any other business? We're joined by Alex Gold. How are you doing, Alex? All right. Not so bad. What have you been doing this weekend? Uh, I went to the pub with one of my old school pals last night. Oh, my God. You have all the fun. Um, I remember going to the pub. A local local pilsner and uh, and went to bed. Great. Pure rock and roll. God, I'd love to. None of that for the next month, though. No, that's that is true. So, I, well, yeah, we're going to have to, you know, make the best of it. Uh, <laughs> Not a brave face, which I was, I was <clears throat> attempting to do yesterday. Actually, I, I, I was, I had I had a very enjoyable autumnal day yesterday, which is it was pouring down outside. I had the rugby on pretty much all day, just in the background. I, you were eating uh, old rascals. Fat rascal. The fat oh, rascal, not old rascal. Fat, fat rascal. Uh, uh, yeah, Betty's fine confectionery, the yeah. fat rascal, which is a kind of super scone, Alex, if you can imagine. Super scone. Wow. And a cup and a cup of tea. I thought this is this that's what autumn days are all about, the rugby. Hang comfort. on. Scone tea. rather than scone. Just to double check. Now uh, I've got to. It's got. To, I've got to be careful about this, you know, because as you know, I'm a northerner. So I, I would say, yeah, I was brought up and it was scone, but yeah. I'm I'm aware that if I say that to people down in the south of England, they won't. Well, know I'm from the south, and we had scones too. Actually, scone oh, was ridiculously posh. Oh, well, Everybody well, saying scone was that was scone. Well, your real... mother came from Nottingham, didn't she? She did. So, so you see, that may that may yeah, yeah. Uh, that may have accounted for it. Yeah. And the other thing I was doing was just tidying up records. And uh, and so I was pulling out a few things that sounded just right to me in that time. And I thought to myself, there is such a thing as an autumnal record, isn't there? Oh, go on. What you and, got? Uh, and I found this one, and I played it a couple of times, and I absolutely loved it. And I always loved it, but, uh, you know, I refresh my memory as to why I love it. And that is this which is the Finn Brothers, Everybody Is Here, or Everyone Is Here, Everyone Is Here. Yeah. Came out in 2004. And uh, and the Finn, uh, Finn Brothers, Crowded House, Split Ends, very complicated story, you know. They're always coming together and then going solo and so forth. And it also strikes me that all the best stuff they've ever done has started off as Finn Brothers records. So if you take things like Woodface, which had Weather With You and all those things on it, that started as a Finn Brothers record and turned into something else. And this is a brilliant, brilliant record. And it, it just, it's so kind of warming in, this, in these difficult times. And it's got songs about being brothers in there. It's got a wonderful song called Disembodied Voices, which, is, uh, which was inspired by their memories of sharing a room when they were boys, uh, probably with bunk beds, and uh, and turning off the light and then continuing to talk to each other in the dark 
naturally. Oh, sweet. Disembodied voices. That's a lovely idea. And so it's uh, it it has loads of uh, loads of comfort value, and uh, you know, so that's my nomination as a great autumnal record. People have probably got other ones that they you know. They great just... autumnal track, I would say, oh, is is well, just one track. It's a jazz track actually. It's Duke Ellington's East St Louis Toodaloo. <clears throat> All right. Which is an amazing thing, and it's it's. I think it was meant to be about the sound of the the autumn leaves being blown by the wind. And it, it has this rising cadence. It's absolutely oh, really? gorgeous. I think Astral Weeks is quite autumnal. Funeral yeah. by Arcade Fire, probably. Maybe Blood on the Tracks. I don't know. There are various things that just have that certain atmosphere about them. I'm not sure if it's well, autumnal, but I've been um, turning to uh, Tom Petty's Learning to Fly on massive repeat. Oh, uh, really? I just that song? It's, 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 it's astonishing, just the way it's put together. It's just, it's just this freshness about it, you know. Yeah, it, feels, yeah. it feels like yeah. an autumnal walk to me. Yeah. But, um, well, they've just they've just reissued or done a special issue of Wildflowers, haven't they? Tom Petty oh. album with loads of additional previously unreleased tracks and so forth. And yeah. so I played the original record the other day, and that, and that sounds really good. It's a, it's a it's a lovely noise. So you know, people may have other nominations for their own autumnal favourites. If so, we, and we should mention the new patrons too. We got very various people oh, yes, signed up as subscribers. Very good. So can we thank, please, very volubly, Simon Nolan and Joe Wisby? Yes, applause. And floating our boat, Mark Stevens, Matt Chase, <laughs> Stephen Ray, and Andrew Orton. Well, Bless welcome, welcome, welcome aboard. Welcome aboard, and we're very grateful. That's terrific. All of them. Uh, we've got some more word in your attics coming up in the next uh, in the next few days, haven't we, Alex? We we recorded one with Chris Difford, which uh, has not gone out there yet, but will do soon, no doubt. Yep, uh, in the next couple of days. Um, we're doing a couple more already th- this week, so there'll be more coming your way. There'll be the uh, the Friday evening uh, quiz. Goes from strength to strength, which we're now calling it's quiz o'clock. It's quiz o'clock. It's quiz o'clock. It's six on Friday. It's quiz o'clock. Quiz o'clock. And if you choose to accompany yeah. it with your favourite libation, that is entirely your choice. But you know, <laughs> we'll we'll be here to supply the kind of intellectual nourishment uh, component of that. And uh, you know, so sorry, we have a crowdcast coming up, don't we? In the next. Two weeks. two weeks, yes, we do. We've uh, we've, we've got uh, one on Tuesday week, is that coming up? Yes, yeah, we have so. the, the, about the ten CC book. Yeah, a guy uh, called Liam Newton. Yeah, yeah that's, that's a, really good book about ten CC called "The Worst Band in the World," uh, which I'm very much looking yeah, forward be to, re- to reading. I posted a picture as uh, we as we discussed last week. Of um, I found the picture of Roger Moore and Dorothy Squires with their appallingly put-upon record collection taken in the 1950s as a reminder of just, you know, how, how insensitive people can be in their in the handling of their records, uh, particularly when a photographer is, around, uh, is arrived. It's around. And uh, Backwards 7 responded on, on Twitter. He said, I thought you might like this. He said, I once attended a roller disco at my local sports centre. During an interlude, we were roped into a game of record breakers by the organisers. We sat on the floor in our skates and broke seven-inch singles into as many pieces as we could, 
a prize was awarded for the most pieces. Surely you must feel terrible about that now. Because I, I had a terrible face where, where a mate and I had an old air gun and we used to throw up 12-inch singles that we didn't want, that we got to <laughs> be given to review and shot them like clay pigeon shooting, you know, pull, and up oh. would go, like Olivia Newton-John or whatever, you know. And I still feel bad about that now. At the time, it seemed hilarious, but now it's absolutely awful destroying vinyl records. Wrong, very wrong. This podcast was brought to you by The Word. Hey. 